Welcome to part three of uh, a unique series that I'm in. Um, it's unique on multiple fronts. It's unique, firstly, because I've never, in 26 years of pastoring, I've never taught, that I can remember, I've never taught on rest. And the reason why I've never taught on rest is not because it's not in the Bible. It, it is. The reason I've not taught on rest is because I am terrible at it, to be quite honest. And I don't know. To me, rest is a four-letter word, and it, it is, but in the very negative sense for me. And, and so I've never really taught on it because I don't know how to do it. And just recently, uh, God has been messing with me hardcore in this area. And, um, and the second reason this series is unusual is because usually when God's messing with me on something, I wait till I go through it and then learn all what I need to learn. And then I share it. Uh, and I'm not waiting till I go through it to share it. I'm sharing it with you as I go through it and what I'm learning and studying on my own. And it's unusual. I don't normally do that because, well, because it's not the wisest thing to do. But this time I felt a real urgency to share on, on rest and, and the timing of this because I felt it's so important that I, I don't think it's just for me. I think it's for all of us. And we've called this series uh, Rhythms of Grace, and it's taken from this passage in Matthew 11, which is a weird, weird passage now that I think about it. I always pointed this in our, I mean, we, this is a scripture that I've quoted so often in our church, but it's weird. It, it's weird because of the timing of it. The timing of this passage, Matthew 11, this is at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. And this is basically like inside a team huddle that Jesus has with his, his disciples. And he calls, gathers them around. And you have to know that at the beginning of the ministry, these guys are just new to following this rabbi, this Messiah. They, they're not sure if he's in the Messiah. He's just an incredible teacher. And they're following him because he does amazing miracles. He did an amazing miracle with fish. He did, a, he, he spoke is convincingly where they're like, we've never heard anybody with such wisdom and, and such clarity and such authority is what they often said about Jesus when he spoke. So they're following Jesus because of the miracles that he's doing and because of the way that he's speaking and the authority in which he's speaking. And they're following because they're like, this is a rabbi that we've not seen before. This is unlike anyone we've ever seen before. And we're following because we want to learn that. And then Jesus calls them in a huddle and he gets gathered around, guys, 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 I'm going to teach you something. And they're all leaning in because they're like, if we could figure out that fish thing, we could make a lot of money. And they're leaning in because if we could learn how to speak like that, man, we could be like, we could be popular too. Like, look at the crowds are following him. This is, this guy's famous. We're like, this is good. And they're leaning in. Okay, teach us, teach us, teach us. And this is what he says. Are you tired? And they're like, well, I have been, but not right now. I mean, this is the beginning of the ministry. I'm energized because we're with you. Like, this is good. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, that. that yeah, we're burned out on that stuff. That's right. And he says, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. And I'm thinking, if I'm one of the disciples, I've leaned in, I want to learn from Jesus how to do miracles. I want to learn from Jesus how to connect with people like that and to speak like that. And then he says, I want to teach you how to rest. If I'm one of the disciples, that's where I'm checking out. I'm like, I, I'm not sure, you know, is there another Messiah around? Like somebody else that we could like, I'm, I'm thinking, 
I'm, I would have disconnected. I was like, I didn't come to follow Jesus to learn how to rest. My grandma can teach me how to rest. Jesus, I came to you to learn other stuff, like how to work, not how to rest. And then Jesus goes on, he says this, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Okay. They were watching. And then he says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And that's what we've entitled this series, the unforced rhythms of grace. Now, I love this scripture. I love how Eugene Peterson the, you know, wrote in the Message Bible, the unforced rhythms of grace. I've always been attracted to that phrase, but I've always focused on the unforced part and saying, okay, that's different from religion. I've always focused on the grace part. That's good. But this time, the word rhythms really caught my attention. And I was like, rhythms. And then Jesus said, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn from me. And what what I began to think about is, that, did they learn rhythms from Jesus? And in fact, they did. Because when you read the Gospels, and I read you know, the Gospels and read how, you know, I focus on the miracles that Jesus did and the way in which he spoke and the words that he spoke and the way that he spoke and the parables and the stories and, and all these things. And I focus on that part. But as I also found it interesting that Jesus, the, the, the disciples, his disciples recorded often some of these rhythms. And often John recorded it, often Matthew recorded how Jesus would withdraw from the crowds and, and alone and to pray and to reconnect with God. And I'm thinking, it's good that Jesus did that, but it's also vital for us to see that it was important enough that the disciples recorded that part for us to read thousands of years later, that they paid attention to these rhythms that Jesus had to, enough to write down the fact that he would often withdraw from the crowds to be alone and to pray. It's also important to know that the disciples taught this and that they, in fact, passed some of these rhythms on to the next generation. And, to, and these rhythms got passed on to the early church. In fact, Peter and John recorded you know, and taught Paul. And Paul would later write it this way. This is kind of Paul's interpretation of these rhythms. He said this in Romans 12. He says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And man, when I... I read that, this, again, this is the Message Bible. You know, other translation says, don't conform to the patterns of this world, and that's good Bible talking. I was like, okay, I'm not going to conform to the sin nature of this world. But then all of a sudden, I read it in the Message Bible again. It says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And I began to be introspective and look at myself and going, are there patterns? Are there... A, you know, part of the culture, practices in the culture that I fit into without even thinking. And again, this is not to convict you. This is just me sharing with you how God's messing with me and how God messed with me on this one as I realize that there's, that culture, especially today, even more so than 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that culture today, that I've become so well adjusted to our culture and culture's pace in particular, that, that the demands of, of, and the pace of today, especially, and I'm just gonna be very vulnerable with some of this stuff, 
especially with, you know, and I love Steve Jobs and the brilliance of his mind and, and the devices that he's created. But the devices that he's created has made it such that I now have a computer in my pocket that I now have, that people have access to me through email, social media, uh, all kinds of other communication device, and they have access to me 24-7. And then I realize that because of this computer walking around, that I don't have time off, that I can, I can check my computer and work from anywhere at any time. Now this is, this is Kelly's confession time, is that all right? It's great you're here to help with me with this and all of you joining online all over the world is great <laughs> so good <laughs> but I'm like I'm a bit of a workaholic and I would send stuff my staff will tell you send stuff when I think about it I would receive stuff whenever it came in I would work anytime anywhere anyhow and and realizing Hmm. I've fit so much into the 24-7 culture of today that I don't even think about it anymore until God went whack <laughs> upside and hit me in the last number of months. And it hurt so good. <laughs> Only God can do that. But I went, I've fit so well into culture without even thinking to it and the pace of culture. And that, and that part of the culture that I've started to see and expose in my own life is the fact that our culture, driven by social media, I think in many ways more so than not, is driven by um, comparison, where we can see what somebody else has done and their success and all that they have and all that we admire about them on social media, and we always get their highlight reel, and then that drives us that much more to do more and to be more and to, and to, and to work harder to get and to, and to earn and to, and to get there, to have that success, whatever it might be. And that that was driving it. And also, also realizing that our society's getting more expensive all the time and inflation going up and it puts more pressure on to perform and to get ahead and to get more, not just to survive, but I mean, there's, that's the survival mode, but it's not just survive anymore. It's now, it's, it's now as bad as, as, you know, because the comparison is not, it's to get ahead and to get more. And that push in our culture causes us to work harder and more, and to such a degree that until I bring it up, and I know all of you, anybody else uncomfortable? It's not just me. Anybody look at this and going, we fit so well into it. This is just what it is that we don't even think about it anymore. I hadn't. And then all of a sudden it says this, instead, this is the instead, instead of fitting into your culture, instead, fix your attention on God. I was like, okay. That's just, that's easy. In the midst of my work, and this is, this is how I did it, I'd fix my attention on God while running full speed. Hey, look up every once in a while. I get stuck in a problem. Hey, help with this. I was like, no, no, that's not what he's saying. He says, don't get adjusted to your culture. Instead, fix your attention on God. And this is what, this is what and we learned this over the last couple of weeks, is that when God introduced a rhythm called the day of rest, right from creation, when he introduced the rhythm, and when he introduced, and we learned this a couple weeks ago, when he introduced the rhythm of Sabbath, you know, in Exodus 16, 
that he introduced this rhythm for the purpose of weekly having a day rest. And do you know why he put it into place? I always thought it was to stop and, you know, energy and all, all the rest of it and, and, you know, another religious rule, to be honest. Right? And I thought there was a stop and I didn't have time to stop. And no, ain't nobody got time to stop. Like, we, we got to go. And, and yet instead, I began to realize that God put this in place because it's a regular rhythm that when you work hard and when you have success or, you, or you're working towards success, that you tend, I tend, this, this my confession, I tend to begin to rely on my hard work to get. And I tend to rely on my talents to get me or to get more talents or more knowledge so that I can get. And I begin to get focused on my hard work or my effort and all the rest of it. And God put into place a rhythm where once a week we would stop the focus and the attention on us and that we would have a time where in our boredom and in our alone time and our stop that we would remember where our help comes from. And that actually, that he set into place at Exodus 16, he set into place a reset called the day of rest, a reset to remember that it wasn't their hard work that was supplying their needs, it was him. And that God does this, that, that rest, the rhythm, the rest is a trust thing. It's about recentering your trust on him. And that when we don't rest, we just tend to go and we begin, natural, human tendency is we begin to rely on our own strengths, our own abilities, our own efforts, our own knowledge, our own hard work. And this is what Paul's saying. He says, instead, fix your attention on God. He's like, it doesn't ever say stop working. It just, don't get so adjusted to the culture that you always work and never put your attention on him. Then he goes on, he says, you'll be changed from the inside out. The world, me, the culture around us likes results. In fact, I did a personality test you know, when I first got into ministry and my personality came back, this test came back as results oriented. So I look at that as, that's my excuse, that's my personality, I'm just results oriented. And I'm always focused on results and I'm always focused on whatever it takes to get Results. And my joy level is attached to my result level. And my miserableness is attached to my lack of results level. And yet, and yet, God is saying, Paul is saying here, hey, reset every, every seven days, reset to get, you'll be changed from the inside. Not just the outside in, you'll be changed from the inside. This is, this is life change. This is not behavior modification. This is life change. This is heart change and from the inside out. That's the gift of what the rhythms of grace is. The, the gift is that you're going to get changed from the inside out. The outside will change, but it's going to come from the inside lasting change. Then he goes on, he says, readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always uh, dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. This is the freedom part. And here's, here's why. The word maturity, I don't know if you've ever partner maturity with freedom. But let me put it to you plainly. The more mature your children become, the more freedom you give them. Right? 
So as they mature, like you don't give your five-year-old the keys to the car. Not yet. But one day, as they mature and prove their maturity, they get more free. Isn't this right? And if they violate maturity and become immature, then freedom comes, gets pulled back. So this is, what, this is what Paul's saying. He says, hey, don't get conformed to the patterns of this world. God's going to bring out the best in you, and he's going to bring out maturity, which is going to give you more freedom. Which is interesting because, because we see that the gift of God created the day of rest on Genesis 2, and he didn't reveal the pattern of Sabbath or introduce the pattern of Sabbath until 2,000 years later. And interesting enough, as we learned this last week, he revealed that one month after they were set free from Egypt. In other words, he attached the Sabbath as a gift, is what it says in Exodus 16. He attached it as a gift in in because of and to accentuate their freedom. So Sabbath is all about, and rest is all about freedom. Now, we're going to go back to Exodus, and I want to show you something else in the book of Exodus. I've read the book of Exodus hundreds of times, and the reason why I can confidently say that is because every year I start with this great goal in mind of reading through the Bible in the year, and I get through Genesis, and January's great. Genesis and, and Exodus are entertaining. They're good. I, so I've read Genesis a lot, and I've read Exodus a lot. I, I stall out at Leviticus. Then I'm like, then, like, I'm lost. Am I the only one? No. Okay. Um, Leviticus is a weird book. I, it's all good. But, but we, I, so I've read Exodus a number of times, but I've never seen, through reading through the book of Exodus, I've never read it through the eyes of Sabbath. And I've never, because of that, uh, Sabbath has been in there. It's one of the commandments. It's, it's there. But it's always the sidebar. It's always the, uh, you know, I focus on everything else. This time when I looked at Sabbath and God's gift of day rest, I didn't realize Exodus number one talked about the Sabbath so much, and I never realized the sequence. And when I saw the sequence, I went, whoa, like there's so much revelation in there that revealed to me that I don't know the Sabbath. I don't know rest at all. I don't know God's gift in this way. So last week, the Sabbath was first introduced in Exodus 16. And remember, when he introduced it, he introduced it as part of the manna. And, and he, when he gave it to them, the manna and the quail, he, he just withheld on the seventh day to test them, is what he said. So Sabbath and rest is all about trust and, and, and who we trust in, in in our God. And it's a test. And they failed the test. And remember, when they failed the test at first, Moses chastised them and going, you stupid people. Like, like God told you plainly, and you didn't listen. So, and we look at it and we go, Moses is all high and mighty and it's all great. Well, what's interesting is that two chapters later, look what happens to Moses, right? Moses chastised them, gives them the rule of Sabbath on, the, on Exodus 16. Two chapters later, Exodus 18, it says this, Moses' father-in-law, that's always a problem. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. What was Moses doing? Moses was sitting, judging the people 24-7. Because in his mind, his excuse was, there's nobody else that can do this job. And, and he's working 24-7. Moses' father-in-law visits and goes, we haven't even seen you. Your kids, my grandkids, your kids haven't even seen you. Your wife, my daughter, hasn't even seen you. What you're doing is not good. Moses, who gave the day of rest, is not doing the day of rest, and it takes his father-in-law to call him out. Isn't it always family? 
His father-in-law calls him out and says, what you're doing is not good. He says, you and all these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out because you've neglected. Hey, you, you thought that the rhythm, Moses, was just about the food. But it's not, Moses. The rhythm is the rhythm is the rhythm. And what you're doing when you're breaking the rhythm is not good. You're going to wear yourselves work out. The work is too heavy for you and you cannot handle it alone. <laughs> so look at this. Exodus 16, God reveals the day of rest. Exodus 18, Moses gets chastised for being a workaholic. And Exodus 20, God's like, you all don't get it yet. So I'm going to make it a commandment. I gave it to you as a gift. Now I'm giving it to you as a command. God didn't give it to them as a command first. Notice that? God's not about commands and rules and doing, but God's saying, this is so important that I'm putting it in the Ten Commandments, and it's number four. And here's how it reads. Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. Here's how it reads. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, if you remember, in Genesis chapter 2, God called the day of rest holy. It's the first thing he declares as holy. And then we read last week in Exodus chapter 16, where he again called it holy and declared it a holy day. Okay, so we see God declaring holiness. We see God calling it holy again. And here he says, I want you to keep it holy. I've declared it holy it is holy, now you got to keep it holy. Holy means set apart. So how are they supposed to do that? He explains it. He says this, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor any, nor your animals, nor any foreign, uh, foreigner residing in your towns. Now, it's the Ten Commandments. Whether you're a believer or not a believer, you've heard of and can quote most of the Ten Commandments. I grew up in the church. I had the Ten Commandments posted on my school wall. I went to a Christian school. Had on, I, I'm familiar with the Ten Commandments, but I've always, in quoting and re reciting the Ten Commandments back, I've always came to number four, and I quoted it back this way. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy and don't do any work on that day, and I stopped there. And when I read it this time again, I saw the rest of the command and I went, oh. I didn't notice that it says, don't do any work, neither you or your son and daughter or your male female servant, your animals, nor foreigner residing in your towns. And I, it hit me that Sabbath, I always thought that Sabbath and rest was solitude and silence, aloneness, me and God, that's it. And I, it's interesting I use the word solitude because I, I likened Sabbath and aloneness and solitude to punishment of solitude confinement. That's where the really bad people go. Like you can go to jail and that, you're a bad person, you go to jail, but you go to solitude confinement, you're like the bad of the bad. Like that's the punishment. And I viewed Sabbath as kind of like prison. Punishment, rest, ain't nobody got time for that. Like, it, like it's painful, like stopping, no. Like, uh-uh, Th that's not for me. 
right? And, and, and here's the thing, is I always viewed, because I always viewed, you know, Sabbath, and some of you introverts are going, it's not, oh no. Listen, it, <laughs> it can be part of that. But what I never saw before is that Sabbath was created for community. That it wasn't given to an individual Jew, it was given to the nation. And it says, it says you're supposed to celebrate with your sons and your daughters and your, your, even your animals. What? And no foreigner residing in your towns, that it's a community celebration. And I went, wait, 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 wait. And I began to think about this. And so I began to research. Is Sabbath really, is that really what it is? And in studying Jewish culture, and I began to realize that the Jews, even the modern Jews today, their idea of Sabbath and my idea of, as an evangelical Christian is very, very different. And I think we're wrong. I was wrong. This is, listen, this is what Ruth Haley Barton says. Who I like her. She's an evangelical pastor who grew up with similar ideas of Sabbath to me. And so she's relating to them. And I was like, I relate to her. This is what she said. Sabbath is not the same thing as solitude and silence. By definition, solitude and silence are practices we enter into with God and God alone. Sabbath, by definition, is a practice we enter into with others in community. I went, whoa. I never understood that. She goes on. She says this, although one may be able to incorporate solitude and silence into their Sabbath practice, and we certainly should if we can, genu genuinely speaking, generally speaking, Sabbath is meant to be discovered in community. I love that. It is meant to be discovered in community. It is meant to be discovered in community. I like that because <laughs> that gives me permission to invite you all into my discovery. Because God is teaching me on Sabbath that I got it wrong all these years and don't understand rest properly, and I'm learning this. But he's also giving us permission and instructing us, actually, what she's saying is that it's supposed to be discovered in community, which is what the fourth commandment was all about, is that, hey, include, when you do this, include your sons and daughters, your servants, even your servants, even your animals. Like, this is supposed to be discovered together. And I was like, okay. And then she says this, it is not something individuals stumble around and try to figure out for themselves by themselves. To which I said, thank God, because I'm not that smart <laughs> to figure it out by myself. But here's the thing. I, I like that. Sabbath is intended to be communal in community. And so here's my challenge to you this week, is I want you to begin having discussions in your home about setting up the rhythm, a weekly rhythm of Sabbath or rest, a day of rest. And here's my advice, because we've got teenagers at home. <clears throat> Don't involve them yet. <laughs> because we have unhealthy rhythms and, and Sabbath, listen to me, listen to me very carefully, understand this. Sabbath is not intended to be a commandment, it was never intended to be a commandment. So we shouldn't use it to command others to observe it and obey it. It was not intended to be that way. So if we command our teenagers to obey it, we're going to give them the same bad taste in their mouth that I grew up with 
because it was always taught as a command. Instead, I would advise that you as a couple in your household, like those who are saying, hey, let's talk about this, discover this together. What would that look like? And my wife and I have started these conversations. We started having these conversations. And one of the things that, that I began to look at is like, okay, I haven't understood Sabbath. If this is the way Sabbath is always there, what do modern day Jews, how do they practice Sabbath? And I was surprised to discover that modern day Jews still practice, this, practice the Sabbath, whether they're believers in God or not. Just culturally, it's something that's been passed on from generation to generation, and it's been passed on and something that is celebrated. And in fact, they start it with a dinner party. On Friday night, it's a dinner party. And it's, yeah, it's, called, it's the Hebrew word for that is called Shabbat. And if any of you here are Jewish, you, you probably heard this, and you practice, and you're like, duh. <laughs> Us evangelicals miss this. I grew up being, thinking that Sabbath was Sunday and it meant going to church and wearing clothes I didn't want to wear and going to play. And like, that's what I grew up being taught. And I was like, it, it wasn't a party. It was prison. Like, <laughs> right? And I was like, I was like, this is not, this is, this is, it's a party? In fact, I, I looked up, I started researching. I was like, is this true? And I started researching some different Jewish cultures and, and sum it up, Wikipedia summed up good. This is what they said. They said Shabbat, which is the Hebrew word for Sabbath, is a festive day. I was like, it is? Festive sounds, festival, that sounds fun. Like it's supposed to be fun? When Jews exercise their freedom, there's that word again, their freedom from the regular labors of everyday life, it offers an opportunity to contemplate the spiritual aspects of life and to spend time with family. And I was like, oh, this is not as complex. This is not prison. This is not solitude and silence. This is, not, this is supposed to be family day. Oh, it's supposed to be festive. It's supposed to be enjoyable. It's supposed to be a party. It's supposed to, really, a party every week. And I began thinking, I was like, if you read the Old Testament, God was all kinds of into parties. Like, all kinds. Like, he set up right after this in Exodus 20, right after this, he sets up three festivals and says, oh, by the way, three times a year, I want you guys to have, like, I want you guys to, like, seriously party. And then he goes on and part of the commandments, he says, hey, by the way, set aside 10% of your income, a tithe above their tithe to the church, set aside 10% of your income, contribute as a community to the festival fund. I'm like, the entire nation of Israel set aside 10% for the party fund? These guys had parties. <laughs> I was like, talk about rhythms. And I was like, that is so anti-cultural to what our world is today, isn't it? Come on, our world today is work, 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 work. And once a week, you're supposed to have a, a family party? Whoa. Okay. And you, some of you might be thinking, well, that's, that's all well and good. That's the Old Testament. That's the, that's the commandments. You know, Jesus came and he redeemed all that. And this word, New Testament, and we don't do that. Which, the reason why I say that is because that's what I thought. I've said that. I've heard. Yeah, this is, yeah, that rule, that rhythm, that's not the same. Except I came across this verse in Hebrews 4, and I went, oh. Hebrews 4, verse 9, there remains... Then, a Sabbath rest for not just the Jewish people, but for the people of God. It's like, oh. 
For anyone who enters into God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his, just in case, in case we weren't clear what the Sabbath was. Uh, and he says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. And I like that because that speaks to me. Because it takes effort for me to rest. Anybody else? <laughs> and I think that speaks, I think that speaks to all of us. Because listen, if you're like, if you're kind of resisting having a conversation, even with your spouse about, okay, how are we going to set aside? You don't know our schedule, Pastor Kelly. Like, you don't know how, like, you've got kids here and all there. There's no way that we could be able to set aside an entire day. We can't do that. I, I, know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. That's my world too. I know. But I'm looking at this and I'm going, make every effort. I mean, I, we got to have the discussion. Because what I do know, and this is what God's saying, is that what I'm doing is not good. And the rhythms I'm working in is going to lead to what he finishes the verse. He says, make every effort to get into these rhythms so that no one will perish by following the example of disobedience. Disobedience to what? To the rhythm. In other words, we can get disqualified. And so it says, make every effort. So here's... Here's my challenge. Is in your household, have a discussion and saying, hey, what could we do in a week to set up a rhythm? And if we can start it with just a family dinner together, and what if this conversation, I'll let you in on conversations we're having at our house, a family dinner all together, no devices at the table. What do we talk about? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> How's your day? Um, <laughs> anybody else discover that because of these devices we have in our hands, we've lost the ability to communicate with one another? And I'm like, I'm so ashamed and so embarrassed by all this and going, this is crazy. Like, I'm so scared of boredom. Like, we have, we have, we have, a, we have a device that we can't even go to the bathroom in silence anymore, lest we be bored. <laughs> Do you see how sick we've become? How dependent we've become on all other things other than You know what else I found interesting? I don't think it's any coincidence whatsoever that the Sabbath commandment is the fourth. Sandwiched right between the first three, which have to do with our relationship with God, and the last six, which have to do with our relationship with others. And I realized that if we practice this rest, not only do we reconnect to God, but we also learn how to reconnect with others. You know it's necessary. You also know it's not going to be easy. Which is why I'm thankful the writer of Hebrews said, let's make some effort in this. 
I'm like, okay. And I'm for one, I'm committed, saying this publicly, to make some effort to learn how to, to get a healthy rhythm in our home, in my life, to get a healthy rhythm so that I, I don't be disqualified before my time. And I, I, feel like, I feel like this is something that we need to discover together. And I promise you, we're not going to get it right. <laughs> I'm not going to get it right. But I'm wondering if we can discover together. And so I, I talked to some of, you know, Pastor Ralph and Pastor Jeremy. And, and I said, hey, you know, this week, could we just, could we pass on some information to our small groups and saying, hey, this week, would you guys, like, wouldn't you do a dinner party? as your small groups. And let's just, let's just discover this. Let's start with that. If it's, start, it's supposed to be communal, let's just start with a dinner party. And if you've got friends in the church, you're not part of a small group yet, but you've got friends in the church, just say, come up and say, hey, this week we're going we're gonna to have a dinner party. And, and no devices. We're just going to connect and hang out and have some fun and have a dinner party together. And let's, let's discover parallel church. Let's discover healthy rhythms. And what I've learned is that the church is supposed to model this. We're supposed to model this for the world. The church has become the very device, <laughs> very unit that's made this more difficult for Christians to model because we've made Sunday a day of work for many of you. And we're going to have to learn how to discover, because we still got to put on church, and we still got to see souls saved, and we still got to do this, but we got to learn how to discover together rhythms, sustainable rhythms. Amen? And we're supposed to model this for the rest of the world. So let's, here's today's takeaway, simply this, is that Sabbath is not the same thing as solitude and silence. It's created to be celebrated in community. And so this week, small groups have discussions with how do we do this and what are you learning and let's try this let have you tried this and what are you what are you doing with your young kids and no devices that's our babysitting service what are we going to do like how do we do this let's discover this together and learn this together is that okay yes so to sum it up we've learned so far is sabbath is a gift it's all about trust, recentering trust. It's about freedom. Sabbath is about community. It's a communal. We're going to continue talking about some more revelations next week. Let's pray. God help. Lord, forgive us. Forgive me. I had I've got so sucked into the patterns of this world that I've adjusted to our, my culture without even realizing it. And I've neglected one of your gifts. And Lord, I ask for forgiveness, but I also ask for wisdom and how to reset the rhythm Lord, I thank you that you're the God who promises wisdom if anyone lacks it. And so we ask for wisdom to know what to do and courage to be able to follow through. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, 
There's not a difficult entry path. It's quite simple. Actually, you don't have to be good enough to earn his acceptance. All you need to do is to confess with your mouth that he is God, that Jesus is God. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer right now that does just that. And if you believe that Jesus is God and that he rose again from the dead, it says right now, in this moment, you can be saved and begin relationship with him. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer and I'm going to ask all of you to repeat this after me. All of you watching online can pray with me wherever you're watching from. If you're praying this for the first time and you believe it right here, right now, you can begin relationship with Jesus. It's as simple as praying this prayer that everyone repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, I confess that you are God and I believe that you rose again from the dead. And I ask you right now to become my God, my Lord and Savior, and my friend. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins and for accepting me just as I am. I give my heart to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask everyone in the room to close their eyes and bow your heads out of respect to the people around you. If you prayed this prayer for the first time and you meant it, you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, we have a Bible that we'd love to give you. It's our free gift for, to you. Uh, we'd love to give to you at the end of the service. With everyone else's eyes closed, heads bowed. If you prayed this prayer for the first time, you just boldly raise up your hand and give me a wave and saying, yeah, Pastor, I prayed this prayer for the first time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Isn't God good? Come on. Amen, amen.